So Doug, Doug kicked off our series on Luke um, last Sunday for those of you that were here, and we're going to kind of dive a little bit deeper into it. But uh, one of the first stories in the book of Luke is the story of Zachariah. And it's kind of, you know, uh, it's a great story about a guy who desperately, desperately, desperately was waiting on the Lord to reveal himself. And so uh, actually this past Christmas, 2015, I wrote a song about Zachariah. You know, Christmas, there's a lot of songs about Mary, a lot of songs about Joseph, a lot of songs about Jesus, obviously. Uh, but there aren't very many about Zachariah, but um, I think there's a lot for us to take from his story. And so it's just a song about waiting for God to speak and waiting for God to move and waiting for God to do the things that we're just asking and depending on him to do. And it's, it's from the perspective of Zechariah, but it's also from the perspective of us. So I'm going to play it as we kind of continue our series in the book of Luke. to live a holy life still I wonder do you see me I see the doubt that's planted deep inside it makes me wonder do you hear me and now I come to meet you where you are Speak a miracle into my heart. How can I be sure? God, you have been silent for so long. How can I be sure that you speak to me? Waited and I've called upon your name. Still, I wonder, do you know me? I lifted up my hands to you, I pray. Do you love me?
God, you have been silent for so long. How can I be sure? God, that this is you. God, that this is you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we just ask this morning that you would give us greater assurance. I'm very aware of the tension. Even as I stand here to teach that there's this tension between faith and assurance. Help us to put our faith into action. But help us to have a greater sense of assurance when you speak that it's you. I'm so grateful that you still speak. You speak to us corporately, but you speak to us individually. I'm so grateful for the story of Zechariah. That you heard his prayer. You know every day of our lives how you number the hairs on our head. Actually, intimate way that you know us and that you speak into our lives. We are so grateful for that. So Lord, help us to know. Help us to know stand in your presence more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take your phone out of your pocket or out of your purse and have it in your hand. It's good you guys are more obedient than the first service. The first service just sat there and stared at me. Now, I'm really serious. I want you to take out your phone. We decided about a year and a half ago that we were going to do more in our midst to foster a culture of prayer. Uh, that this idea of being a, we're, we've always believed in prayer, but we want, God is calling us to more. And one of the things we uh, set as a goal was that we would have a thousand people praying for us every morning at 9.30 a.m. That alarms would go off. And the cool thing is we hear stories about people in grocery stores and their alarms go off. People at work, their alarms go off. People walking down the street, their alarms go off. They look at each other and say, hey, are you from Grace? Yeah. So then they pray and that's a good thing. So here's the deal. The prayer doesn't have to be all that complicated. Your alarm goes off, you're in a board meeting, just turn off your alarm and in the quietness of your own heart, say, God, would you just bless Grace? Would you just be with the leadership of Grace? Would you just bless our church? It's, it's that simple. But a lot of you said, um, I wish I knew more how to pray for you. So a couple times a week, we are going to send you a text and remind you how you can be praying for us this week. So for those of you who are technically challenged, some of you are already done, the rest of you who are like me, what you do here is you type in 41. 411 in the phone number area. So just like you were sending me a phone number or sending me a text, that's your phone number, 41411. And then in the text area where you would send somebody an actual message, you type in 930, and then the word prayer. It doesn't have to be all caps like that. 930 prayer, and you hit send. And when you hit send, what that'll do is it'll put you into a database so that we can send a couple times a week a quick little text that says, hey, Pray for this, pray for that. It'll help you to remember. So once you're done with that, you should put your phones away. Unless, of course, you use it. What's that? I thought there was a question there. So if you're going to use your phone for your Bible app, that's great. But, but we're done with that, and I'd love for you to be a part of it. So we should get inundated with hundreds and hundreds of texts in the next few minutes of people signing up for this. So grab your Bibles or your phones, if that's what you're going to use. 
and turn to Luke chapter 1. What I'm going to do is I'm going to use the opening few verses, the first four verses, kind of to set up the series, if you will, to, to talk a little bit about what we are continuing to do. We started the series on Luke last week, but because it was Easter, we started at the end of Luke. It didn't make sense for us to start at the beginning. It was Easter Sunday, so we talked about the death and the resurrection. And now, like a good novel, like a good book, we are going back and we are going to look at the people and the prophecies and the events and the setting, all that led up to the death and the resurrection of Christ. So, so this journey through Luke is really a look back at how did we get there. So that's what we're up to here. Um, In some sense this morning, just so you know, I kind of feel like I have two sermons for you. Some of you are taking a deep breath now, like that's pretty scary. But one is a sermonette and one is a sermon. I want to kind of walk through these first four verses because it sets up Luke. And then we're going to transition and we're going to talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth. So a little bit different this morning because we have to talk about both of these things. So first four verses, this is going to help us to understand why did we call the series Absolute? What What are we getting at when we talk about being absolute? Luke chapter 1, verse 1 says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So there's three things I want to pull out of that real quick that, that, that helps us to understand what Luke is up to. So Luke says that he has carefully investigated, that he has done his research, that he has investigated everything that's, that's gone on, and it says that he has put together an orderly account, and he's done it for this most excellent Theopolis. Just so you know, in the, in the ancient language, that most excellent Theopolis was, most excellent was a term used for Roman officials. So what we know about Theopolis is that he was a Roman official, a person of influence. And we also know that he had some interest in the Christian faith. He was either a believer in Jesus, or he's someone who was being taught about what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And so Luke sets out to write this account about Jesus and and does his research and puts it all together so that he would know, so that he would know with certainty what God was up to. So verse four, so that you would know the certainty of the things that have been taught. This is a historical narrative Right? It's, it's written as an apologetic to defend the Christian faith. The beauty of that is this is a book that we can use to help to bolster our faith, to help us to understand who God is, to have more certainty, to be more absolute in our faith. That's the journey that we're on as we study the book of Luke. Before I get to Zechariah and Elizabeth, I want to show you one other discovery, if you will, that we have ahead for us as we study the book of Luke. So what I want you to do is turn to Acts Acts 1, verse 1. And remember, these are two, uh, if you will, uh, Luke set out, and he wrote two books at the same, he didn't write them at the same time, but he wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts. It was like a two-part, two-volume series written by the same guy at the same time. So Luke writes both of these books. He fills one papyrus with writing, and then when that one's full, he goes and he writes another one, and he calls this one the Acts of the Apostles. So Acts 1, 1, he says, this is Luke again. He says, in my former book, talking about the book of Luke, Theopolis, same guy he's writing to. I wrote all about 
all about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So if you're a person that highlights in your Bible or underlines in your Bible, or if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to highlight three words in this opening verses. The first word that I would highlight is the word began. Luke is very careful. He doesn't say, I, I want to tell you about what Jesus did in the past. He doesn't say, I want to tell you about what Jesus finished. What he says is, I want to tell you about what Jesus began. This was the beginning of the ministry that Jesus put into place. He's saying it was just the start. You know that we are the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. Right? No, you guys are quiet. We are the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. He didn't come and do what he had to do, that he began and set something in motion, and we are the ones that continue the work of Christ. So you highlight began, and the other two words that I would encourage you to highlight, underline, write in your notes, is do and the word teach. Do and teach. Teach to me is to use words, to always be prepared for the reason, for the hope that you have, to be able to express to somebody what it means to walk with Jesus, to use your words. There are times every person who's a follower of Jesus needs to use their words. They need to be able to teach what's happened in their own lives. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just have to be willing to use your words. But then it says to do. And to do is the acts of service. It's the deeds. It's when we step into the chaos of other people's lives and we become Christ to them. We continue the work that Jesus began with our words and with our acts of service. So here's Luke writing to us, telling us how Jesus began a work that we are going to continue. So we have a mission statement here at Grace. What is our mission statement? We are? You guys are better than the first service, just so you know. You can write that down, tell them Doug said we're better than you are. By that I mean you're better at saying our mission statement. No, so this helps us to live into that mission statement. The more we become like Jesus, the more we live into the calling of Jesus. So studying the book of Luke is going to help us to live as a mosaic, as a a blended group of people living like Jesus. I hope that that helps set it up. Really all I'm trying to do here with this sermonette is get you excited about the journey that God has for us as we study the book of Luke, this amazing narrative, this amazing apologetic, this amazing historical document that helps us to see all that Jesus began and all the ways that we are called to continue that work. So, now the real sermon. Luke 1, 5 through 25, let me read uh, this passage for you. It says, In the days of Herod, King Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Adijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They had no, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Verse 8 says, Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priesthood, he was chosen by lot, he won the lottery basically, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness. 
and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out and he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. And then when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he took, when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we want to really uh, get what God has for us, we really want to make application in a passage like this. The only way to do it is kind of to put yourself in the shoes of the people in the passage. We have to kind of go on a journey of understanding what's going on culturally, what's going on emotionally, what's going on physically in the lives of the people that this story is about. We got to kind of, like I said, put ourselves in their shoes. According to this passage, Elizabeth and Zechariah were righteous and they were blameless. What does it mean that they were righteous? Does it mean that they were without sin? No. What it means is they were the benefactors of God's grace and God's mercy. That God has chosen to see them as righteous in spite of their sin. Sometimes we make the mistake when we read the Old Testament, those first books of the Bible, and we see that sacrificial system in place, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that people were saved through the sacrificial system. But very early on in the scriptures, in Genesis, as a matter of fact, early in Genesis, there is a guy named Abraham. And what the scriptures say about Abraham is Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's righteousness was a gift to him. Not because he never sinned, not because he fulfilled any system. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith. And it's important for us to know that God is the same today and yesterday. God is, God is at work. But, but there's this picture of us for understand that righteousness is something that's given to us. In our case, it's given to us through the death and the resurrection of Christ. When you say yes to Jesus, God imparts righteousness to you. What does it mean to have righteousness? It means that you are right before God. Here's good news. You are righteous if you are walking with Jesus. If Jesus has been a part of your life, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you too are righteous. So we have these, these individuals, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they have 
faith. They've put their faith into action. They believe God. They believe the promises of God. They believe who God is. And that belief brings about this imparting or this benefactor of grace and mercy. So they are righteous. But it also says that they're blameless. One of the things I would encourage you to is every time you read the word blameless in Scripture, and it's in there a lot, think of these words. The best way to describe what it means to be blameless is not causing others to stumble. If you are blameless, you are not causing others to stumble. Let me explain that. So we have the ability with our lives to encourage people in their walk with the Lord, right? So how I live my life, how you live your life as, as parents, how you live your life as friends, as coworkers, we have this ability to point the way towards walking with God, with the way we live our lives, right? Well, we also have the ability to get people off track, to do things in our life that cause people to actually stumble in their faith. So when you have a spiritual leader who has a, a huge moral failure, whether it's in the media or in a church that you used to be at or wherever, what you discover is there are people who will turn their back on faith because of what they saw. Say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it, right? Or if you're a father and you go out and you decide to have an affair and, and you bring that tragedy into your home, very often the kids will reject anything that smells like faith or God because they say, if that's what God is all about, I don't want anything to do. I have the ability to live my life in such a way that helps encourage people, but I can also live my life in such a way that gets in the way and causes people to stumble. Now, we may think that this is a, you know, I use these big examples, but the truth is, this is a part of our everyday life. I share a story with you. We had just started coming to Grace, and those of you who don't know, Meg and I just started coming here as parishioners, and we sat in the, the pews in that old sanctuary that you saw on the screen up there. And, and at that time in my life, I really was living with kind of a foot in both worlds. I don't know if you know what that means, but I was trying to walk with Jesus, but I was still in the business world, and I wasn't really walking with Jesus with all of my life. I was kind of like going back and forth, and it was kind of confusing. But what I did know is I wanted to share Jesus with my friends. So I decided to get two friends from church and one friend from my business connection, one of my closest friends, actually, who didn't want anything to do with this new Jesus thing that I was a part of. So I said, well, we'll go golfing. We golfed all the time. So it was, it was three against one, right? So I got my two church friends and me and my unsuspecting buddy, and we showed up at the golf course to play golf. Now, I don't know if you know it, but golf has a way of bringing out the ugly in everybody. Um, I don't play golf much anymore because I feel like I lose my salvation every time I play golf. Now, I know that's not theologically sound, but it does feel that way at times. Well, let's just say that my three Christian friends, me and the other two, we didn't exactly um, carry ourselves well. There were little temper tantrums and probably some expletives and just all the things that come with golf for some unknown reason. But when we were all done playing, my other friend who didn't know anything about Jesus and I was hoping to be a witness to him, he said, you know, this was great. I really liked your friends. They're just like me. Yeah. Funny now. It wasn't so funny. But I remember it was, it was like a defining moment in my life to be like, no, no, that's not what I want. Now, here's the deal. I am not talking about being pretentious, being holy, putting on all these airs. What I am saying is we can stoop to the level of the world and people see nothing different about us. Or we can stand apart and still love people well and not look weird and, and, and crazy. But, but we certainly could have played a different sort of golf game, and my friends could have seen something different. And he saw nothing different about us, and that's scary. We cause 
someone to stumble by the way we live our lives. Here's Zachariah and Elizabeth living their lives in such a way that the people around them are led towards God and not away from God. That's what it means that they were blameless. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're devoted. They practice their faith. They're not doing it to earn something from God. They they understand the love of God. They're righteous. They're right before God. They're blameless, not causing other ones, other people to stumble. But then there's this verse 7. And there is one word in verse 7 that jumps off the page and punches you right in the gut. And the, let me read it for you. Verse 7, it says, But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were advanced in years. The word that jumps off the page is, but. They were righteous, they were blameless, they were good followers of God. They were good people, but they had no child. Look, this is a heartache for many people in this room. Some of you have tried to have your own children and you have experienced the pain of not being able to have your own kids. And it is a deep, deep heartache some of you. Some of you, it's not been your first-hand experience, but you have journeyed with others through this. Not being able to have a child can create such a hole, such a difficulty in life, right? The heartache for Zachariah and Elizabeth was that they couldn't have a child, but it was compounded by the setting in which they lived. Because you see, in the first century, in, in the ancient world, if you had an affirmity, if you had some type of problem in your life, whether it was a sickness, an illness, or you couldn't have a child, it's because you were cursed. It's because you did something to deserve it. It's because there's sin in your life or sin in your white life or, or there's sin in your family of origin. There's something. You are accursed, and that's why God's not giving you a child. So what does Elizabeth say? She says in the very last chapter, she says that, that this idea of bearing a child, that it will remove her disgrace, basically, is the word that she's using. The people have seen her in disgrace. So here we have a priest, but he would have been a, a priest that people looked at and said, yeah, he's a priest, but he can't even have a baby. We have a, a, a wife of a priest, and they say, yeah, she's a wife of a priest. She's even a descendant of Aaron, part of the Levite tribe, but there's something wrong with her because she can't even give her husband a baby. Pretty difficult situation to, to live in. Not having a baby meant that they were cursed. So what I've done with the passage today is I, I have five significant truths that I just want you to hold on to that comes out of this story. And the first truth is this. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. Now, why did I put good in quotation marks like I did right here? Because, look, I know theologically we all have sinned and fallen short of the, God, of the glory of God. I know that there is none righteous, no, not one. I, I get that. But, you know, those passages I'll also say because of the blood of Jesus, we are seen as righteous. And we have a passage here that talks about this, these two individuals who are righteous and blameless. They are good followers of God, but they are barren. Something bad is happening in their lives. Bad things happen to good people. And it's so important that we recognize this. It's so important that we, that we put this into our understanding, not just for our own lives, but for the lives of others in our church setting. I have some very dear friends who struggle with chronic illnesses extremely 
difficult circumstances. And it's been that way for a long time. And if we're not careful, what we say to them is, what are you doing wrong? Where's there sin in your life that keeps you from getting better? You must not have enough faith because God wants to heal you. And if you just had enough faith, then God would heal you. Now, let me be perfectly clear or as clear as I can be. Sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we are sick because we sin. You can make a decision today to have a certain type of lifestyle that will bring pain and can bring sickness into your life. I get that. But God is not playing a game with you. God is not a God of games. So if you are suffering through something, ask him. Say, God, show me, search my heart and tell me, see if there's any offensive way in me. I I guarantee you, God will show you if what you're going through is a sin thing. But I can tell you, sometimes it's not. This is not about two people who suffer because they were sinned. And we need to be careful not to project that on other people. And you need to be careful not to project that on yourself. What is wrong with me? I don't have enough faith. Why am I in this position? And the better question is, God, what do you want me to learn as I go through this? God, what are you up to in the midst of this pain that I've been going through? We need to be careful as a church not to lay that burden on people. Five significant truths. Bad things happen to good people. The second thing is in the midst of bad In the midst of that bad thing, we can honor God. Zechariah and Elizabeth are still righteous and they're still blameless in the midst of their suffering. Their hopes and their dreams are shattered, but they're still righteous and they're still blameless. They have a huge sense of disappointment with God, no doubt, but they're still righteous and they're still blameless before God. They don't become distant. They don't become angry. They don't turn their back on God. And and if they had, they would have caused other people to stumble because they would have led the way away from God than towards God. And here's the question for you this morning. In the midst of your difficulties, do you turn towards God or do you turn away from God? When things are really hard, do you find yourself going to your knees or do you find yourself going to the refrigerator? Whatever it is you look to for comfort, can I tell you sometimes all I want to do when I'm really in a bad place is I just want to turn on the TV and ignore whatever it is that's going on inside of me. That's just a way for me to find false comfort. Do you turn towards God or do you turn away from God in the midst of difficulties? Because we can honor God when things are not going our way. Third truth, God is always, always, always at work. God is always at work in your life. Another way of saying this is God is always preparing. God is preparing you. God was preparing Zachariah and Elizabeth for something. God was at work in their lives. God was taking them through a difficult season. Here's the deal. When God is moving in your life, when God is is doing what God needs to do in your life, he is taking you through a difficult season to shape your character because God is way more concerned with your character than he is your comfort. That's important for us to know. God is in the business of shaping your character. So here God has taken Zachariah and Elizabeth through this incredibly difficult season. And what was he doing? He was shaping their character to the point that their lives could bear the weight of being the mother and father to John the Baptist. 
That's a big job. That's an incredible calling that God has placed in their life. So they go through these difficult seasons and they turn towards God. And in the midst of that, they learn that God can be trusted and they learn that God is good and they learn that God still has their back and they learn how to have this, this understanding of who God is. Also that when the time comes, their character can, build the, can hold the weight of their calling. God is at work in your life. He is developing your character so that your character can bear the weight of the calling that God has on you. God is preparing you, always preparing you for what he has for you. If God calls you to do something, he has certainly prepared you to get it done. Another way to, to, to take what you might, might need from this as you think about this is when we look at our lives, we can look back and we can say, how has God prepared me for what he has next for me? What has God used in my life? What is God doing in my life? It helps us to give shape and understanding to the calling that we have in our lives. God is always at work in our lives. Another way to say this is God is sovereign. What does it mean to be sovereign? Well, the literal definition of sovereignty is uh, superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, independent of all others, independent of all others, meaning you are sovereign, you are you are the one. But I think the easiest way when we think about God to understand his sovereignty is God is in control. God has the ability to be in control of each of our lives individually and all of our lives corporately and do that all at the same time. Romans 8.28 is a verbal description of the sovereignty of God. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That working all these different things together for good, that's the sovereignty of God. Let me give you a personal example of, of, of how you experience, you may experience the sovereignty of God. You ever go to church? That's kind of a loaded question. Hopefully you won't say no. You ever go to church and feel like the pastor's talking just to you? Like you have that experience like, and, and this has been my experience at church too. And then I go out and I get in the car and I turn on the Christian radio and the guy talking on the radio or the song that plays is kind of the same subject and it's just for me. And then I get home and I open up my devotional and sure enough, the passage of scripture is kind of the same topic and it's just for me. It's almost like God is paying attention to me personally, but you know what? He's doing the same thing for everyone else in the room at the same time. The ability of God to speak individually in your life through all of these different things, and at the same time do it for you, and the same time do it for you, and the same time do it for you, that's the sovereignty of God. None of us could ever do that intentionally, but God has this way of bringing all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's the sovereignty of God. God is at work. God is sovereign. God is moving in the lives of his people. Bad things happen to good people. In the midst of the bad things, you can honor God. God is always at work. And the fourth thing is, what God is up to is beyond your expectation. And it's important to say this. I mean that in a good way. Sometimes beyond our expectation can be a bad thing. But when I say that, I mean it in the very best of ways. What God is up to is beyond your expectation. This is so important for your mental health. God is up to something and God is going to do something in my life that's beyond my expectation that I can endure the difficult things that God is up to because he's shaping my character to bear the weight of the ministry that he's called me to and the ministry that he called me to is beyond my expectation. 
It is an amazing picture of what God is up to. So in his old age, in his disgrace, as his wife calls it, Zechariah is chosen out of thousands of priests to go in and burn incense. Just so you know, once in a lifetime, once your name is drawn to go in there and burn the incense, your name is torn up and thrown away. You never get to do it again. Literally a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'm pretty sure that Zechariah was saying, this is a good day. I get to go in where most priests don't get to go. I get to do something. Man, this day can't get any better than this. Right? They can't get any better than this, but it does. Right? An angel shows up and stands before Zechariah. Verse 15, he says, You're going to have a son, and this son, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Wow! I'm going to have a son. I get to go into the, the, to the, the, the temple where nobody gets to go. I get to burn incense to my people. This is a great day. Now you tell me in my old age, I'm going to have a son. It can't get any better than this, but it does. Verse 16 says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. You know, to be a priest, to have a son, kind of meant your son was going to be a priest. So Zechariah would have thought to himself, I'm going to have a son. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be a powerful priest, and he's going to lead people to God. It's going to be an amazing thing. It can't get any better than this, but it does. Verse 17 says, and he will go before him. The him there is the Messiah, just if you're wondering. In the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. If you are waiting on God, and you're just waiting and praying, and God shows up, and God gives you a son, and then he says to you, your son is going to lead the way to Messiah. It's in a powerful thing. There is, there's this uh, tradition uh, holds that, in church tradition, so it's not biblical, but church tradition holds that Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, were part of a Jewish sect who had left the villages and left Jerusalem and gone back to the wilderness as a way of preparing for the coming Messiah, to pray and prepare for a Messiah that was coming. So there's other groups that do this. If you know of the Essens, the Essens are the people that put together the Qumran scrolls. So once they found that, they found this whole group of people. They also went to the wilderness. And the thought was, our people came out of the wilderness into the promised land. Maybe if we go back to the wilderness and turn our hearts towards God, then the Messiah is going to come. But the, the church history is that Zechariah and Elizabeth were a part of that group. Can you imagine that? They had actually been prepared by God going into the wilderness. And then if you read that one little, if you just have that one little fact in your head and you start reading the stories of John the Baptist, a lot more things make sense. Like, why was he in the wilderness? Why did he eat locusts and honey? Why did he wear camel fur? I'm pretty sure they didn't send him out there as an infant. Okay, you're two. Good luck. He was living with his family in the wilderness, preparing for the coming Messiah. So it makes sense. He, he goes out. But, but I love the picture of this. They were preparing. They had no idea. God was preparing them, and what God was preparing was beyond their wildest imagination, but he was no doubt preparing them to bear the weight of this amazing ministry of being the mother and father of John the Baptist. I wouldn't be really doing the story justice if I didn't address the fact that Zechariah has a lapse in faith, if you will. The angel tells him what's going on, and Zechariah says, well, how can this be? You know, what's fascinating is 
next week, Narflet's going to talk about the angel coming and talking to Mary. And you know, Mary asks almost the exact same question, almost word for word, how can it be? So the beauty of this is it's not about uh, that, that Zacharias sinned or Zacharias lack of faith was because he wanted clarity about how it could happen. What we know because the angel tells us, he says, because you did not believe, right? So Zacharias' mistake was that he didn't put his faith into action, right? He didn't believe what God was saying, whereas Mary believed, and she says, well, you know, she still asked for clarity, but then she said, okay, whatever you have for me, I'll do, okay? So there's, there's a difference between the two stories, but the angel is there in, in verse 20. It says, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Unless we get too hard on Zechariah, chances are <laughs> we all would have struggled to believe. I love One of my favorite parts that I just chuckle about is Zechariah says to the angel, I'm old, and my wife is advanced in years. Like, he knows better than to say his wife is old, right? Someone has trained him along the way. There are certain words you can use and certain words you can't use, but he's not going to use the same words for him. They both mean the same thing, but he's very careful. Like, I don't know if she's listening, but if she is, I don't want to say it out loud. But... But really, he, he, he lacks faith to believe that, that, that it can actually happen. Here's what I want you to hear. If you believe that God is at work in your life, if you believe that God is sovereign, if you believe that what God is doing is more than you could ever imagine, more than you could expect, that God is preparing you for a ministry that's beyond your wildest imagination, when God breathes it into your life, it's important that you believe it's God that you believe that you can actually do that very thing that God has called you to do. I also love that the angel says to Zechariah, God has heard your prayers. No doubt his thousands of prayers for a son. God is a God who hears our prayers. God is a God who's listening. Even if you feel as though he's not, God is listening, God is moving, God is preparing you for something. Zechariah has a moment where he weakens in faith. And I think what God says is, hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to reflect. Nothing like not talking for 9, 10, 12 months to give you a little time to reflect. But you know what I think? I think that was part of God preparing him. Think about what's going to come. Think about how you're going to be a father to this prophet that I'm sending so let me recap and give you one more significant truth. Bad things happen to good people. In the midst of bad, we can honor God. <clears throat> Excuse me. God is always at work. What God is up to is beyond your wildest expectation. And the fifth truth that we can see through this amazing story as we launch into Luke is God makes the impossible possible. Old, barren women do not conceive babies. It's impossible. Virgins do not give birth to messiahs. It's impossible. Dead people don't rise from the dead. Blind people don't get their sight. Lame people don't walk again. God makes the impossible possible. And the question I have for you is, what is it in your life that feels like an impossibility? What is it that you need to just bring to God and say, this cannot happen any way unless you step into the chaos of my life.
bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, I just pray right now for the people in the room who feel the nudge of your spirit to just take a step of faith and say yes to Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would do it this morning. That they would say, I am not right before you. I have sin in my life. I know that I am far from you. I just give my life to you, Jesus, and ask that you would be my Lord and my Savior. I pray that you would guide people in that prayer so that they come to faith in you, that they become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who just know we've gone through difficult seasons and we haven't necessarily honored you in the way we've handled it, that they would come back to you, that they would cling to you, that they would see you do more than you can, more than they can even ask, think, or imagine in their lives. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Luke, the stories that are going to strengthen our faith and make us better followers of Christ. Bless us as we continue on in this series. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we always have people down here that would love to pray for you. Feel free to come down and pray. You have a great Sunday afternoon.